probably need some holy water on them this morning. I'm praying that you do. Hey, and before we go too far here, before y'all walk off, guys, I want, hey, get in here, Amy. You got to get in here. I know this is not in the script. Get in here. This is the last Sunday, so I got to have a photo of you guys. I want all y'all in there. This is making history here. Are you in there? I can't. I, I'm tired of this, so I'm going to take a couple. Get in there. Get in there. And I want to get one of all the guys out here in the camera crew. Jack way back there in the background. Yeah, I just want to say here we are. Last time we're doing this. Okay, y'all get out of here. We got stuff to do. Uh, good morning, everybody. So glad you were here for worship. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to find Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're just going to camp out there uh, for a while. And I'm wondering if anybody here is like me this morning, uh, that you're sick and tired of being sick and tired of all the bad news. I mean, everywhere you turn, there's bad, negative news. So this morning, I want to start off uh, by giving you some good news, okay? Would you like some good news? Here's some good news. Uh, the good news is last Sunday, we had 19 families, that's right, 19 families show up here on this site, on this campus, and said, I want to make this our church home. And not only that... 14 believers' baptisms out of those 19 families, and five children were dedicated to the Lord. Parents said they wanted to give their kids to the Lord. In fact, I performed an infant baptism last night offside. Can we give God, I mean, just clap right there where you are, just kind of chop in, thank you, God, thank you, God, going, yay, yay, praise God in the comments right there. But man, man, don't take that for granted of what God is doing in your midst. I mean, that is such good news. That is good news. And you heard already, I want to make sure you got it. The good news is, uh, that we are coming back into the house on August 1st and 2nd. I want to reiterate, August 1st and 2nd, uh, we're going to go back to having servants in the house and you in the house, and we're going to still be online, but that means our worship times are changing. I want to make sure you get this, uh, that it means it's Saturday night at 6 o'clock, we'll have worship on site. We'll have it at 8 o'clock in the morning in the sanctuary, then at 9.30 and 11, uh, we'll have it here in the ark where this place is taking care, where we're projecting here to you, we're kind of uh, televising online, but also it's going to be in the sanctuary. So you can spread out throughout the building, practicing all these wonderful practices, and, and as Jeff said, online, uh, we're going to be online both at 9.30 and 11 o'clock, so wherever you are. Uh, you can be a part of the body of Christ. So that is, that is some great news. That is just fantastic news, and I'm so excited about it. But that does mean this Sunday, uh, this is it for 1025. Uh, this is the last one uh, because next Sunday we will have 930 and 11 online because we're going to be training servants, getting used to all the protocols down the hallway for your kids because there will be things for your kids down the hallway and for adults in worship just in this environment we live how to be safe and take care of each other and they're going to be practicing on on that so they're ready for you uh, when, when you come so a lot of great news but we cannot ignore reality uh, the reality is there are more and more people who are having positive tests with the virus uh, the reality is there are uh, people who are compromised and are in vulnerable positions that are dying from the virus. Uh, we cannot deny the reality that our economy still is struggling. Uh, there are jobs that are vanishing. Uh, we cannot ignore the reality uh, that our nation uh, continues to be divided by these polarizing politics. Uh, we cannot deny this, this ongoing tension in this very uh, controversial conversation in our world regarding Black Lives Matter, defunding the police. I mean, all of this reality, you know, it is going on. And sometimes I hear people say stuff like this, 
You know what, Pastor? This feels like this is the end of the world. An old song, right? The end of the world as we know it. And it is so easy to get sucked in to all the gloom and doom and the negativity. And I don't mind telling you, I'll be a little transparent. I've got sucked into it a little bit from time to time myself. I mean, hey, the past couple of weeks, I've been telling Dallas off and on my wife, you know what, honey, I'm just feeling weary. She said, honey, are you okay? What's wrong? And I said, no, I'm just feeling weary. I'm just feeling beat down. Anybody relate to that? You just kind of feel that way sometimes? Uh, even so much, I'm kind of giving thanks to God uh, for this physical distancing. I don't believe in social distancing, but physical distancing because it keeps me away from people. Because sometimes when I'm so weary, uh, the right trigger, man, I can just unload on somebody. And I don't unload on people very often. But I will tell you, when I unload, it's ugly, ugly, ugly. So I can just feel myself sometimes being weary and also being a little discouraged. You know, I mean, I mean, I mean things were just rocking and rolling here before COVID-19. And then for the past four months, it's just kind of, man, God, can we hold all of this together? You know, how's all this going to work? And so I, I have been working very diligently to look for the good news. I've been asking God to help me to look for the good news in the middle of all the bad news. I've been fighting to have a faith perspective. So I asked this uh, 16-year-old, hey, say, tell me, uh, when you get older and all this is over and you're an adult, you know, tell me, tell me something good that's going to come out of this that you can take with you for the rest of your life. And she kind of had this little smirk on her face. It didn't take long. I could tell she already thought about it. Well, you know, Pastor, uh, when I get older and I get married and I have kids and my kids come and they ask me to do something and, and I say, no, you can't go do that. And they get all whining and complaining and I tell them you're grounded. You got to stay at home when they're whining us all. I'm going to tell them listen, when I was your age, my parents locked me up in the house for four months. They made me wear a mask over my head and told me if I went outside, I was going to die. See, that's the good thing I'm taking with me later on in my life. So I guess it's a matter of perspective, right? <laughs> There's always some good things you can take out of, of any bad and, and negative situation. But, but let's be smart here. Can we be wise? Uh, I just want to remind you what you've heard many times, but sometimes we can forget it. Wash your hands. Wash them for 20 seconds and wash them regularly. Practice not social distancing. We need social connection, but physical distancing as much as you can. Please wear a mask, particularly when you're out in public, when you're around your work and you're around people that you do not know particularly. Well, well, please wear a mask. And I would also self-report that if you get have a positive test, it's not a shame. It's not a black mark, okay? Let people know. Uh, let your friends know. Let your family know. If you come to church, let your church family know. Not you know, so we can encourage and protect and keep each other safe. Okay, let us do that. But most of all, keep a faith perspective. Fight for your faith and stay optimistic, believing that God is still on the throne, that God is working for the good in your life, that God is for us, that God is cares for us, that God loves us. And I will tell you that I am working to have an unshakable optimism uh, for what God wants to do in the future. In fact, uh, that's what we're doing here. We're kind of starting just a mini-message series, just two weeks, that's all, a mini-series. Uh, we're calling it Looking for the Good. And uh, this morning is titled Unshakable Optimism. And that's why I'm asking you and inviting you to do it. I'm going to tell you why uh, I am unshakably optimistic in just a moment. But God, uh, before we open up your word, uh, we have a ask of you, God. 
uh, in the midst of all the bad news and all the negativity and all this kind of this kind of paralyzed place we seem to be in as a world, God, uh, that you would build our faith. Uh, not based on what we see, God, but based on what you say in your word. Your word, which is full of good news for people that are broken and hurting, that are scared, that are uncertain, God, and that you would speak to us and that you would build our faith and give us an unshakable confidence, God, in who you are and what you were doing in the world. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen and amen, and I can't wait to hear you say it actually here in the house. Okay, first of all, in your message notes, and if you don't have notes, you can write some of this out. Let's just talk for a few moments about what optimism is not. What optimism is not. First of all, Optimism is not denial of reality. Optimism is not sticking your head in the sand saying, oh, what, what, there's a problem? There's nothing going on here. Like it's all a conspiracy theory. Hey, here's reality. Uh, the reality is we have some very challenging, difficult issues that we have to work through. Uh, optimism is not a denial of reality. And optimism, let her be there, it is not a blind faith. It's not just some naivete. It's not some sort of wishful thinking that if I just kind of ignore it long enough and I just wait long enough that it's all just going to go away. Listen, church, I've said this a thousand times. Time by itself heals nothing. It's what you do in the time that you have. So, man, we're not talking about this blind sort of faith and denial sort of sense of, of being optimism. That's not our kind of optimism. Here's what we're saying optimism is, and this is a secular, first of all, a secular definition. You can find it anywhere on the Internet. That optimism is a confidence about the future or confidence there's going to be a successful outcome. But I'm confident that something good's going to happen and that the outcome will eventually be okay. But we don't want to look through it through that way. I want to look through it through the lens of faith and this morning, particularly through the lens of Romans chapter 8. Because that's where we're going to go and camp out here in a second. So here's the definition for us for, for optimism. Optimism is the unshakable confidence that God is working in every situation, in every situation for my future good. It's an unshakable confidence, an unshakable expectation. It is an assurance deep within my soul. I mean, it is so deep that God is working for the good in every situation. For the good for the future of my life. In fact, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul writes here in Romans 8, 28, where he says, and we know that in all things, say all things. Just say it out loud where you are, right there. I don't care where you are, when you're hearing this, say out loud all things. In fact, write down all things. If you're right there on Facebook or you're with us on, on, the, uh, on, the, on the media app or on YouTube, wherever, just type in and say all things. I want you to grasp all things. In all things, what the Scripture says, we know that in all things. Uh, that means in, in the negative things. Uh, that means with that impossible boss. That means with that challenging family situation that you have, the challenging finances. That means even in those annoying in-laws. Hey, listen, if they're watching somewhere else online, make sure you don't type that in. Yeah, my annoying in-laws, don't look at them if they're in the same house with you. Don't, don't, don't do that. Maybe it's that challenging parenting situation, all things. You know the uncertainty about school coming? Are they going to go to school or not go to school? Or what's going to happen at college? Why not? And, and all things. That, that means in the most dark, 
in the most unpleasant, in the most painful thing you can ever imagine happening in your life or that actually has happened in your life. I know, I know, I know in all things God works for the good of those who loved him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, I want to stop for a second and just say why I, I am unshakably optimistic. And we got to go back for a minute. We got to go back and review a couple of things in our mindset message series. I want you to go back a few weeks. And for a moment here, I want you to think about what you think about your thoughts. I want you to think about how you think, how you process your thoughts about your future. When you think about your future in your thought life, what does your future look like? If your thoughts are full of negativity, if your thoughts are full of dread and gloom and doom and worry and fear and anxiety, uh, you are following what psychologists say is a loser's script. Because what consumes your mind will control your life. I can tell you what your future is going to be like by the way you think and you feed what you put into your head. Proverbs 23, 7 from the King James Version, it goes like this. As a man, as a person thinks in their heart, in their mind, in their spirit, they are, so they will become. We, we said this before, your life is heading in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So if you're one of those who think, oh no, the world's going to hell in the handbasket, everything's falling apart, things are never going to be the same, it's terrible, this pandemic, the virus, all the things going on in our nation, oh, I hate my circumstances, I hate my life, oh, you're probably not going to get to the end of any day and say, you know, this was the best day ever. <laughs> if you're someone who wakes up in the morning, right, and you naturally just kind of normally have a, have a bad attitude, uh, you have a, a bad lens, a bad framework, a bad mindset by how you're looking at the world, if you kind of have a pessimistic lens by how you all, how you look at the day, chances are you are going to have a pessimistic day, and some of you have a pessimistic life. In your notes, number three, the quality of my life will never exceed the quality of my thoughts. Let me repeat that. The quality of my life will never exceed the quality of my thoughts. Now, all the psychologists, psychiatrists, they say this about pessimists. That pessimists, they look at the, the negative, hard events of the world, usually through the lens of being personal and being uh for, for it being permanent, personal and permanent. So they go, you know what, uh, this going on, uh, it's always my fault. It's always on me. I always mess up. I'm never worthy of it being anything good happening to me. Yeah, who, who figures? I mean, it's very personal. Then they make it permanent. Man, this is the way it's always going to be. We're never going to get out of trouble. We're always going to struggle. I mean, things are bad and they're just going to get worse. And then so often pessimists over a course of time 
They begin to have a victim mentality. Oh, yeah, of course it happened to me, you know. I'd be right in the prime of my life. I'm going to high school or I'm getting out of college and the economy would tank. Yeah, it'd be just like me. I'll, oh, yeah, this virus, it's probably going to last forever. I'll probably have to wear a mask for the rest of my life, right? I mean, just on and on and on. This, this victim sort of mentality. Church, being blessed. Being blessed, being satisfied, being hopeful, being content with your life. It's not a state of situation. It's a state of mind. It's what you think. My life is heading in the direction of my strongest thoughts. If you're caught, if you're lost in this sea of negativity and gloom and doom, that's exactly what you will experience in your life. So I got to ask you a question. Which way do your thoughts drift? Do your thoughts just naturally drift toward the goodness of God and the holiness of God and the mighty of God and just the, just the greatness of God? Or do your thoughts tend to drift to where, oh, this is so hard. Oh, this is so bad. I'm so beat up. I'm so tired. I'm so weary. Because your life is going in the direction of your strongest thoughts. I am unshakably optimistic. What about you? Where are you in your life? Uh, number four, and this, this is how, this is how. This, if your thoughts drift to the negative, to being a pessimist, number four is for you. I will feed my faith and I will starve my fears. I will feed my faith. I will starve my negativity. I will starve the gloom and doom. I will starve the worry. I will starve the stress. I will starve the anxiety. Now, why am I going to do that? Why? Because whatever I feed is going to grow. Whatever I starve is going to die. Whoa. I'm going to feed my faith. I'm going to feed my knowledge of who God is, what God says in his word to be true, and I'm going to starve the gloom and the doom. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean I'm going to stick my head in the sand and pretend that everything that's going on in the world is not true. That doesn't mean that. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to know and I'm not going to face the brutal facts. But you know what that does mean? That means that I'm not watching the news 24-7. Uh, that must not mean that I'm just not instantly just open up every little news app I am, checking their little Facebook post that pops up, every little Twitter beep and everything, and I'm just transfixed all the time just looking at all this negative news. Now, I, I, I will just tell you what I do, and this is what I've done, and I've had to do this. I've reduced to paying attention to news about 30 minutes, sometimes 45 minutes a day. And I will tell you when I don't do it. I don't do it right before I go to bed anymore. I, I will not look at the news or check the news an hour before I go to bed or an hour after I get up out of the bed. I'm just not going to do it. And I'll spend maybe a little time at breakfast. I'll spend a little bit of time during lunchtime. But it's the same thing over and over and over again with their spin and their twist. And so I'm going to starve my faith from all of that. Net and I'm going to fit. doesn't mean I don't know about it. But I have all these voices in my life. I don't know about you. Do you have a lot of noise in your life? Do you have all these voices saying all this stuff to you? And it pulls you here and it pulls you there and gets you mad and gets you all upset. And all I'm just trying to say is, church, I don't have time. 
for all those voices that are always getting me riled up. That doesn't mean I'm not going to listen to the facts that I need to know, but I want to surround myself with the voices that are going to feed my faith and strengthen my resolve and not cause me to sink into despair. So I'm going to starve, starve this other stuff, and I'm going to feed what I need to feed. Now, how, how do I do that? I, I, I've shown this to you many times. I'm going to show you one way uh, that I feed my faith in kind of a different way, some sort of thing of what I do. And so if I want to feed my faith, and maybe some of this is the first time for you to ever hear this, uh, but I will get my Bible, I will get my journal. I don't have it with me this morning. Uh, I have my journal. I'll get my pen, and I will sit down, and I'll, I'll prepare myself to find a fresh piece of Scripture. Now, a year ago, a year ago next Sunday, uh, ironically, uh, we're doing training, coming back in the house, getting ready. It's a year ago next Sunday uh, that the Owen household's life got, got turned upside down uh, when my daughter-in-law, uh, Corinne, and her brother, we got the news here, and I left. I just left. One of the first times that I just never have done that before. I left work, said, search, you got to figure it out on your own. I got to go. And I had to go there because her brother uh, drowned, and they could not find him. And... Uh, You've heard me talk about how difficult of a year it's been if you've been around here very long. And I started reading the book of Romans a year ago this coming uh, Sunday, Monday. And I've just been just in it, in it, in it, particularly in, in Romans chapter 8. And what I've been trying to do over this past whole year, I've been reading this book and reading particularly Romans chapter 8, not just to read through it, but to meditate on it, to focus on it, to live in it, to sit in it, not just so I could get into the Word, but so the Word could get into me, particularly this Romans chapter 8. And so when I do something like that, I'll stop, first of all, when I begin, okay, okay what is the context? And I'll be asking questions, okay, like, who wrote the book, who wrote the letter, to whom was it written, uh, when was it written, uh, why was it written? Uh, what happening before and after whatever I am reading. And so what I know here is the book of Romans, it was written by the Apostle Paul, we believe, most scholars believe. It was written to the church in Rome. I know that the first part of it is very heavy in theology. Uh, the second part, half, is, is primarily very much in application. I know it's very weighty, very rich, about very real practical issues. And I know that I'm reading in chapter 8 that chapter 7 becomes before chapter 8. And I notice in chapter 7, there's a place where it seems like the Apostle Paul is really having a hard time. Because down in verse 15 of chapter 7, he says, man, I just don't understand what I do. <laughs> For what I want to do, I do not do. And what I hate, I do. And he just beating himself up. Say, oh, I cannot believe stupid me. Anybody ever done that? I cannot believe. And his mindset has just got this stinking thinking going on. But then right there in verse 1 of chapter 8, he says, verse 1, chapter 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Over here, he's beating himself up, right? He just kind of, oh, I cannot believe. I just can't seem to get it right. But there is no, and it's like he's trying to talk himself into believing. Hey, God has forgiven me. God doesn't judge me. God doesn't condemn me. So why do I keep beating myself up? And I keep reading on through there. Then he takes a hard turn to really work on his mindset, to clear up his mind with his thinking, thinking. And down to verse 5, 6, and 7, he kind of says something like this. Hey, the mind governed by the flesh is death. 
but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. He says up there in verse 9, hey, listen, Paul, you're not living in the realm of the flesh. You live in the realm of the Spirit. You have the Spirit of God living in you. Then verse 14, if you're led by the Spirit of God, you're a child of God. Then I stop here and go, hold it, hold it, hold it. If, if I have the Spirit of God, Rick, I have the Spirit of God living in me, that means that I have the Spirit, the Scriptures, I have life and peace. I have peace. God is my peace. I, I, I'm a child of God. And I'll write that down. I'm a child of God. I'll get that in me. I'm a child. That means I'm an heir. I mean, I'm an heir to all the resources of God. I, I am his child. That is my identity. And what I'm doing here is I'm reading through this. I'm looking for a scripture I want to sit on. I just want to linger there. I want to stay there. I just want to read it over and over and over and over again until it gets inside of me. And I keep reading to say I get to verse 18. And verse 18 says this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I go, hold it. I think I want to stop there for a second. I think I want to camp there. Let me read that again. And I'll read it over and over and over again. Okay. I consider huh, that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. And I'm thinking, okay, Paul wrote this letter. The Apostle Paul wrote this. And I'm thinking, I've been reading the Bible now for a while, 15, 20 minutes, every morning in my, in my quiet time, my chair time. And I think I remember somewhere that Paul did a little suffering himself. Now, Paul wrote this, and he's done some suffering. And then I start trying to Google or do some research to find where the Bible talks about Paul's suffering. Because I think in the back of my mind, I remember that. And I finally find it that it's over in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And Paul down here, verses, verse 23 and 24 and on, he kind of says, huh, you know what? Um, I've been in prison, Paul says, I've been in prison uh, frequently. <laughs> uh, I've been flogged severely. He says, I've been exposed to death again and again. Verse 24, he says, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one thing, 39 lashes. Uh, three times I was beaten with rods. He says in verse 25, I was pelted with stones. They stoned me. Uh, I've, I've been shipwrecked three times. I mean, I was just out there in the middle of the ocean hanging on to planks, hoping that I was going to make it to the shore. Verse 27, hey, I've gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've gone without food. He says, I've been cold. I've been naked. Not only that, I feel the daily pressure of leadership for all the churches that are around here. And I'm thinking, huh, that's quite a bit of suffering. <laughs> Would you agree? That's a lot of suffering. And then I look right here and... And Paul said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Church, let me, let me stop here for, and just ask you a question. Uh, where have you been suffering? Uh, where are you hurting? Uh, where have you been experiencing the pain because of this pandemic and everything for the past four months? Just, just get, get honest about it. What, what, what have you been going through? Uh, maybe some of you, you, right now, you're really experiencing it because there's someone you're worried about that has the virus or you're trying to protect someone that you love carefully that's, that's, that's at risk and you're concerned. Maybe you actually have someone who dies. Maybe, maybe you're someone who uh, uh, lost their job because of the employment situation or your job went away or you were forced into retirement 
maybe. Uh, maybe your family has been just turned upside down because you're not used to spending so much time together. In fact, the spending of so much time together has made all the other issues come to the surface and you found yourself in more turmoil and more conflict and more drama and somebody actually betrayed somebody in your family and you find, or maybe it's just very simple as this, school's around the corner and you're a planner. <laughs> and you don't have a clue what's about to happen to take care of your kids, your students, and you're just, ah, tell me, tell me, tell me, where are you suffering? Where are you hurting? And so I tell myself when I'm reading the scripture that God is with me, that God is for me, that what I'm experiencing is temporary. It will not last forever, that God is going to do something with it, that all things work for the good for those who love it. I have this unshakable confidence that my present suffering, what I'm going, that God is going to use it for blessing. In fact, I even write down in my notes, I remember doing this writing down in my notes, that the struggle I'm experiencing today is producing strength for tomorrow. Some of these, write that down. I remember writing that down when I was wrestling with this, that the struggle I'm experiencing today is producing strength for tomorrow because I consider our present sufferings, man, this temporary thing, it's not even worth talking about. I can't compare it with the glory, with the blessing that's going to be revealed in the future. I have an unshakable confidence that God is going to do something even with this. Then I keep on reading, and I keep reading, and I finally get to verse 26, and I stop there because it just hits me in the face. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us. I got that word help circled in my Bible. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Hey, besides me this morning, is that verse right there good news to anybody besides me? That the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Uh, you may not like hearing this, but uh, I, I have felt pretty weak <laughs> at times over the past four months. I, I don't mind telling you, I felt weary. I, I have felt weak. You know, I have felt inept. I have felt incapable, you know, of being able to do what God wanted me to do. You know, I mean, God, I mean, God, how do I teach through this? I mean, we had a plan almost through the end of the year, and everything got turned upside down, and things changed so quickly, God. And we don't even have people in the house. Don't even talk. How do you know, God, what people really need to teach and to God? And I just kind of, God, I just feel so weak. I just feel so hell. God, how do you lead through something? I've been asking, God, how do I lead through this? I've never been here, never been. This is uncharted water. Never got here before, God. I mean, how do you know, God, when to open, when not to open? What's all this going on? And you just find myself is anybody besides me and so what I do is I tell myself I tell myself okay God is gonna help me God's spirit in fact verse 26 the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is gonna help me when I'm weak is gonna raise me up when I'm beat down and I just I just say that and some of you are saying right now pastor you don't get it uh, you don't really you're not in touch with me I am so weak I am so beat down. I am so weary. I, I got nothing. And I've had my friends and people tell me that God helps those who helps themselves. And I'm telling you, the Bible doesn't tell you that at all. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says God helps those who need help. God helps those who are weak. God helps those who are hurting. God helps those who are scared. God helps those who are grieving. God helps his people who need help. So let me ask you this morning, do you need some help? Do you need some help? Uh, if you are hurting, who is God? If you're hurting, who is God? If you are hurting, God 
is, hear the good news, God is your comfort. If you are confused, hear the good news, God is your guide. If you're discouraged, hear the good news, God is your hope. If you are anxious, hear the good news, God is your peace. And if you are weak, if you are so tired and weary, your God is your strength. What am I doing? I am starving the fear. I am starving the negativity. I am starving the gloom and doom. And I am feeding my faith of who God is to give me this unshakable optimism of who God is. And then I get right here down to verse 28. And when I get to verse 28, I just kind of sink there. I just kind of settle there. And I want to go there again. It says, and we know that in all things. Somebody say all things again. (laughs) And we know that in what? Say it with me. We know that in all things. The good things and the bad things. The hard days and the easy days. The weak days and the scary days. The wonderful days and the hope-filled days. When my day is full of light and when the darkness feels like it has just consumed me. I know that in, I know that in, I know that in all things. God is working for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. And so I just sit on that verse and I think about it and I meditate on it. I just kind of sit there until that verse really gets in me and I let that verse start just pulling stuff up out of my life about times and moments where God was good in the midst of the darkness, where God showed up when there was so uncertainty. And I think of different little stories, lighthearted and different things that just kind of reminds me of who God is. And I'm doing this and it takes me back to the boiled egg guy. Now you're thinking the boiled egg guy. Yeah, the boiled egg guy. Uh, I had been in Ethiopia. This is my second trip to Ethiopia years ago. And we had been in the western part of Ethiopia uh, were pretty intense uh, persecution of Christians and pastors and teaching and lifting them up. And when you go on those journeys, it's bumpy roads, it's back in the backwoods, and uh, you're tired, you don't eat much because you're afraid to eat, you don't drink much, you're afraid to drink that stuff, and uh, because it's not, you know, you think here you're concerned about, uh, well, this sanitation was minimal. So I remember we're about to head back. It's the day before we come back. We make it back to Addis Ababa. And it was right around my birthday. And they found out it was my birthday coming soon. And so they decided to have a celebration. And they were going to take us to uh, the Sheraton there in Addis Ababa, which is really owned by the Ritz-Carlton. And they said, Rick, we're going to go have a buffet feast and celebrate your birthday. I said, oh, this is awesome. I said, can our driver come in? And they said, yeah, if he wants to. I said, hey, you want to, will you come in and eat with us? Because everywhere he went, he would never go in. He would just stay at the side by the van protecting all of our stuff. I said, man, come in and eat with us. Come in and eat with us. Come in and eat with us. He said, I felt very uncomfortable. So he comes in. 
reluctantly, because man, this place is posh, right in the middle of posh. I mean, this place is posh. I mean, it could be right in the middle of New York City or Los Angeles, Dallas, any city, just elite of elite, uh, Palm Springs, you name it. And, uh, so we go in there. And the food, this buffet, it was a buffet. And I'm telling you, this time of my life, uh, Dallas and I, here's my idea of a buffet. Ponchos, furs. Uh, that, that, that is my idea of a buffet. And, man, if you're hungry, those are go play, great places to go. Golden Corral, right? But here I'm talking about it's like heaven opened up and every great food you can imagine was spread out before us. It was a feast. And I noticed they had these tables set with white napkins and perfect tablecloths. And each plate had four forks. And I'm going, oh, great. I'm out of my league. I just used one. I don't know what the other three or something are for. And I thought, man, I can't pay for this. In fact, if I put it on my expense account, it's going to look pretty weird when I get back from the church. Hey, it's on us. It's on us. It's on. I got it. We're just taking care. We're just going to give you a blessing. So, so I could tell the, our driver was pretty uncomfortable. And he's up there by me, and he's kind of, he's up so out of place. And uh, we're going down and getting our food, and they, we come to these, to these eggs, these boiled eggs, and they'd already cracked them, and they were all there on his plate. And so he kind of goes for the, now all this rich stuff, he just goes for the boiled egg. And he gets a boiled egg, puts it on his plate, and he looks around and thinks, I think I'll have two. And so he gets a second boiled egg, and he tipped his plate in such a way, you know how boiled eggs, when they're, they're peeled, soft and spongy, and they kind of roll, and it rolls off his plate bounced off his dirty shoes and started rolling, bouncing along the floor and the, the Ritz Carlton, the Sheraton Inn. And I thought, oh my, he, he got so embarrassed. And I looked around, all these uppity kind of folks are in there and everything like that. And Out of nowhere, this man dressed in black comes out of the curtain, swoops down like an athlete, I mean an Olympic, pulls up that bald egg, taps him on the shoulder like it's okay, and disappears into the curtain. And he and I both looked at each other and thought, that is cool. Nobody noticed. He was there and he was gone. And I thought, I think I'll see if that happens again. So I had some olives on my plate. So I just kind of spilled on my <laughs> spilled over to the floor and again. I mean, he just swooped out of nowhere, so so magical, picked him up and disappeared, you know, into the curtain. And I thought that's exactly how our God is. Even when you can't see him, he's there. He's working behind the scenes in every situation. Whatever you're going through in your life, he knows, and he's ready to swoop in and do good to save you from your embarrassment, to save you from your pain, to save you. Take what the enemy meant for your evil and your embarrassment to turn it into good. That's how good our God is. Our God is faithful. Our God is loving. Our God is merciful. Our God is kind. I have an unshakable confidence in who God is and what he says in his word to you 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 know sometimes I hear some of you I'm not sure you do I hear you bought into what people, the world says the key to the happiness like the key to happiness is you got to lower your expectations because if you lower your expectations for life you won't be as crushed or you won't be as disappointed when your expectations are met. But I'm telling you, no. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you raise your expectations in who God is. The goodness of God, the power of God, the holiness of God, and the love of God. I've had some folks say, hey, pastor, I just can't wait to get my life back to normal. And my answer is No. You don't want to go back to normal. 
Have more faith than that. Be more optimistic than that. I know some of you were complaining about your life some four, four months ago when things were normal. I had the confidence that God wants to take you to better and normal. You may not have to like what you're going through, but have confidence in what God is leading you through. That he who can do immeasurably more than you ask or imagine. Because of the power working in you. He's working right now. You can't even see him. Some of you, out of this pandemic, you're going to be stronger in your marriage. Yeah. You're going to fight through it together. Your family is going to be closer. More tenderness, more compassion, more, more patience and understanding. Uh, some of you are just going to be more loving in general towards people. You're going to, I, that, that, that's going to happen. I have that unshakable confidence that's going to happen. I have this unshakable confidence. Some of you are going to be more clear in your purpose and what God has put you on this earth to do. You're going to have this, this more certainty. Some of you are going to be more strong in your faith. You're going to be bold in your witness. And I had this unshakable confidence, confidence that Pathway Church, this optimism that the light of Jesus Christ is going to shine in this church brighter than ever on the other side. And the harvest is going to be more than a million and one of hogs because you are lifting up the name of Jesus like ever before. And in the name of Jesus is lifted up. So last Sunday morning, I'm, I'm driving home after worship. I had to pull my car over because I found myself getting emotional because I just left the building where 19 families had stood up here and joined this church and 14 believers, baptisms, all these kids. And I thought, you know what, God, for four months, I've not been able to see anybody in this building. And yet, even though I couldn't see you or see them, you were working, doing your good in their lives. God, I just give you thanks, God. I just, I just praise you, God. I just praise you. I just praise you. I starved my fear, and I fed my faith. And finally, I get right here to the end, and I go to verse 39, verse 38. For I'm convinced... I had this unshakable confidence and assurance. I mean, I just know, I know, I know, unshakably know that not death, not life, not angels, not demons, not the present, not the future, not any power, not hip, nor diet, nor death, not anything in all of creation, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So wherever I go, I say, God is with me. That's right, God is with me. Now whatever I do, right or wrong, I think God loves me. Whatever I'm going through, God is for me. And church, that is why I have an unshakable optimism. Because our God our good, loving, and perfect God is working in every situation for the future good of your life. He is.
Now, I know we got some real stuff to deal with. We have some reality. It takes some hard work and some hard solutions here in the church, in the world, and in our nation. I know that is real. But when I find myself being beat down by the bad news and being all whipped up by, by the bad news, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to remember verse 18. Our present suffering is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Um, when I get weak and tired, I'm going to say, hey, in the same way the Spirit is going to help me in my weakness, the Spirit's going to help me when I'm weak. I'm going to read that and repeat that. And I'll say, you know what? I may not be able to see God. I may not be able to touch him, but I know, I know that God is working for the good. Verse 20, in everything in my life, and nothing, absolutely nothing, not this pandemic, not unemployment, not the chaos in my home, nothing can separate me from the love and the good he wants to do in my life. So what do we know? We know that what consumes your mind will control your life. I'm going to starve my fears, and I'm going to feed my faith. Church, this morning, I lift up my hands, praying for you with unshakable optimism. That our God, our good and loving and perfect God, in whatever you're going through right now, I don't know, but God does. And he is working for the good. That's how much he loves you. So God, I just pray for my brothers and sisters who hear my voice right now, who can see me on this, the miracle technology, God, wherever they are in the world. And God, I pray you would build their faith. You would strengthen their confidence, their unshakable assurance, God. Not because of what we see, God, but because of what you say in your word, that your word is true. And they will hang on to that with an unshakable confidence. And if you're someone here who's joining us maybe for the first time, I just want to make sure you hear the good news. Just make sure that for God so loved the world, that he sent his only son into the world, the perfect sinless son of God. And he entered into, he interrupted, he entered into the craziness of our life. And uh, we killed him. We spit on him. He suffered on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And anyone who feels overwhelmed by this, the shame, the guilt, whatever, if, if you would just accept him into your life, receive him into your life, uh, he will come into your life. That same spirit will come into you, and you will just experience his grace and experience his mercy and forgiveness, and you can be on the path of unshakable optimism yourself that God is working for the good in your life. And so if that's you, just right there where you are, just, just get still and say, God, I, I need your help. I mean, the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. The things I hate, I do. The things I want to do, I don't do. God, I just, I need. Hear this. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus, would you please come into my life and let me come into your life. 
so you can use my life. And if you've done that, please let us know. Check in. We want to help you take your next step. And uh, I'll be praying for you. Uh, pray for me. And we'll see you next week. Unshakable optimism, 930 and 11.